This episode of the Randy Russell Podcast is brought to you by Smellorama, dedicated to putting inspiring words to pictures of things that smell. Find this and future episodes at rspeen.com and Apple Podcasts. Questions or comments? Email us at rrpodcast2000 at gmail.com. Today's guest host, Jack Wright, is a free improvisation musician and writer and he can be reached through his website, springgardenmusic.com. Welcome to the Randy Russell Podcast. Uh, my name is Jack Wright, and I'm your host for the hour. And uh, we have with us Randy Russell, of all people. How well, thank, about you. That? Uh, thank, thank, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> and um, this is not an interview. Uh, I am not interviewing Randy, and he's not interviewing me. We're letting the chips fall where they may, whatever pops into our head in conversation. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're just going to uh, talk about uh, what subject today? What, what do you want to talk about? Oh, well, that's... Uh, last time was... That's... Oh, there was no last time. Okay. <laughs> the last time I saw you... Uh, uh, well, I've known Randy for some time, but uh, we've never really had... Uh, much of a conversation, no, maybe no. thirty years ago in Cleveland, uh, we had some conversation. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm sure I talked to you in person briefly at a, at some performances, but um, I saw you play in Milwaukee. Uh, it must have been ten years ago, and I probably just said hi at the time. And <laughs> um, and over the years, we probably talked a few times, but maybe by mail, too. Uh -huh. So you're you're based in Philadelphia, right? Uh, well, a town to the north. It's more towards the mountains north of uh, Philadelphia, uh, Lehigh Valley. It's called. <clears throat> so it's about equidistant from Philadelphia and New York. Oh, okay. So uh, anyway, I'm a saxophonist, and. Um, I often think about uh, what uh, about identity when somebody says I am this or I am that, whether there is any adult who doesn't uh, feel that they have an identity that uh, they can say I am this or that. All right. And we have, I think, different. Um, different relationships with these. Everybody has a bunch of identities and we have different relations with them. And this has always uh, interested me. Like I can mm -hmm. say that I'm a saxophonist. Why do I say that? Well, does it mean that I can play it well? Uh, a person who is uh, first studying the saxophone does not say they're a saxophonist. Mm -hmm. You know, at what point do they yeah. feel that's something that they would say. And they probably don't say it unless they are uh, really serious in some way about being a musician. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's always a certain point where people get to that, to get to where they say, I'm going to say that now, or like I'm, I'm an artist or I'm a writer. And I know that some people, people have different ideas about when they feel like they're allowed to say that. Like sometimes. So I, I play uh, saxophone, I also play piano, but uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a pianist mm -hmm. because that has certain implications. Like you can be a saxophonist and not really play that well. That is, there are many ways that you can play and you can be untrained and still say that. But if you say you're a violinist or a pianist, a classical instrument, it implies that you have a traditional training and that you know how to play, how to read a score, or you can play something by ear. Right. Uh, and uh, I specifically, um, I never taught myself to play the piano. I just started playing it, and I did certain exercises that come from the classical tradition, very simple finger exercises. <clears throat> and... Um, uh, so I can't, um, I don't, uh, read piano music. To me, it is too, it's just too much of a mental operation, uh, translating these notes, uh, through the mind into something where you're supposed to put your fingers on the keys. Right. You play, uh, you play clarinet or something. No, well, I, I, um, mainly I play guitar. Uh -huh. That's the one instrument I have now, and I play. That's that I play commonly. Do you I, call yourself a guitarist? No, I don't call. Yeah, I don't call myself a guitarist. But I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind. I guess I feel, in a way, like I feel like I will. I will be more comfortable calling myself something if I was doing it regularly. And I used to write songs a lot, and I kind of got away from songwriting. So now I don't feel like I would call myself a songwriter so much, even though I've written a lot. Well so then, Randy, what are you? <laughs> you must be something. Are you a a, a, a podcast operator or? Yeah, right. Starting right now. <laughs> now I, I I generally I call my I do call myself a writer now because uh -huh. that's one thing I do every day. So I, I feel comfortable calling myself. A writer. So every day I write something. I put something on my website every day. Uh huh. So I do that more regularly than anything. What What kind of things? Is it poetry? I've written a lot of fiction. I have written poetry in the past, but not lately. So my so lately I wouldn't necessarily call myself a poet, even though I've written a lot of poetry. And uh, someone referred to me as a poet. I wouldn't be offended. I'm fine with that. But. <laughs> No, but I, I've, I've been writing more nonfiction type things lately, like uh, reviews of things and articles. Uh -huh. And um, just because that's what I've been enjoying doing. Um, so I have, a, like I have a website now where every, like what I've been trying to do as sort of as a project is add something, writing to it every single day, something uh -huh. new. And um, part of it's been, has been um, what I call the, the, the memoirs. Which are I'm going through my old notebooks, uh -huh. and um, which go 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 all the way back to the '70s, and um, these are journals that I've kept, and then I'll, I'll I've been typing them out and then putting them on my website each day, 
and I've got a few different sections of periods of time. So I have like a 40-year-old area, and then I have a 20-year-old area, and then a two-year-old area, just so I have these different time periods where I'm kind of, hmm. um, where I'm posting things in sort of in order that I was writing them at the time. So at some point I'm going to find I'm going to get to the point where I I talk about, me, you know, meeting you or seeing you, um, at certain at these certain time periods, because there's probably something I, I wrote about in my journal. <laughs> so it'll be interesting, but I'm not I haven't gotten to that yet. <laughs> well, please tell me because <laughs> over the over the years it's been different, time, you know, uh -huh. cross paths different times. What was uh -huh. the, and I'm sure in the '80s in Cleveland, the '90s in. Iowa City, and then in the 2000s in Milwaukee. So there's, you know, that's th three decades where I've crossed p paths with you. So if you call yourself a writer, or anything that you call yourself is a a kind of a public act. Yeah. Because it's, it's saying to others, um, I mean, you can say it to yourself, but it's as if you were saying it to others, if somebody asks you, what is your, you know, they want to get some image of who you are. And so you say that you're a writer. And so they, they imagine you writing and, um, and also respecting what you do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also thinking that this is a genre of person. Um, so writer is a broad category you know right. it's it's a uh, like for the french in the past to be a poet was a really special mm -hmm. thing uh, all young males uh, of you know 150 years ago um thought it was uh you know th this was really meant something that they were scribbling poetry you know and uh so they ident identified as as uh, poets mm-hmm um, so I've, uh, I've been writing since the seventies. I mean, I started in the late sixties when I was, uh, trying to write a, um, a book that I, uh, on, um, well, I was in the academic world and I was being pressured to write a PhD thesis on a very narrow <clears throat> topic and I didn't want to do that at all. So, um, I would uh, I would say that I was working on it, but actually I would go off to my room and and write what I thought was uh, sort of the uh, the uh, I was thinking of it as the spiritual history of the world, but it was more um, sociological and you know more the character of civilization, this kind of thing. Right, that's a and good it subject. was a total <laughs> a total failure. Uh, it was just so boring. And I could just never, I just couldn't do it. But then in the 70s, uh, when my, my life uh, collapsed, and I started writing really uh, for myself, writing more from the heart, um, uh, I have all of those writings. I think the only writings that I have, uh, uh, the earliest writings I have are from the 70s, and these are in notebooks. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I uh, I would have difficulty publishing them. Uh, I mean, I wrote uh, about um, 
myself. I mean, they were very self-critical, um, angst-ridden uh, period of, you know, the collapse of my world. I'm, I'd been involved in politics and uh, getting into music and then um, just pouring out a lot of thoughts in music, but never with the thought that, uh, well, I had the thought that I could either be a musician or a writer. And I couldn't see anything that I was writing that could be public. But I thought that anything you do musically can be public. Right, yeah. Because uh, it's, a, it's a simple stage. There's something about writing that you write something and it's um, automatically anybody can see it. So if you're not, um, uh, if you're not, if you're embarrassed about it, or if it's just too personal, then you you don't want this to happen. Whereas music, you can play your music in your room, and then play in this tiny venue, and you know five people are there, and it's not like exposing yourself to the world. Even if you, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, this is partly just a mental thing of the distinction no that's it um, yeah that's an interesting way to look at those two things because I've, I've thought about that a lot a lot of a lot of people with journals people i mean i've heard people say that when you keep private journals that you should destroy them <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's a good idea to you know some people do that they keep them a certain amount of time and they destroy them or they write them and then they put them away somewhere you know where they're going to be found later, read later, or lost. So I started thinking about, like, what's going to happen with all the... I have all these notebooks of my writing, and I thought, well, maybe someone after I die will be interested in reading those. And then, then you start to think, like, well, for one thing, do I want people to read <laughs> that after I die when I don't have anything... I can't respond to it anyway, or... And they're just laughing defend, at it, saying, defend what an it. idiot! And on the other hand... <laughs> Thinking that someone's going to be interested is kind of <laughs> ridiculous too, because it'll probably end up in a dumpster. You know, when I'm going to clean out, you know, after I'm dead, they're going to clean out my place and they're just, what's this? Oh, I don't know. And or or expecting that anyone would, in order to publish it in some way, would have to read it, decipher my handwriting, retype well, it's, it. The whole the era that we're in is one where uh, there is no such thing as posterity. Uh, uh, except for people who have already achieved some renown in their lifetime, right. I had a I yeah. have a uh, musician friend uh, who does a lot of uh, composition, and he told me once um, uh, that uh, he wanted to uh, get this stuff together so that uh, get his uh, work uh, together in good shape because he even though nobody recognized him in the present uh there was the future that he would think about that mm -hmm. you know he was projecting into the future and i said um uh, i said bob uh uh if you don't uh if you have no audience now you will have none in the future right <laughs> so uh it's really um a difficult thing i think especially for musicians since their only real, uh, their their real presence is in playing in the, in the moment that they're playing, playing live. 
the recording is after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be famous for your recordings, but you're not you're not there. Whereas in writing, the only medium is something which is permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a big difference in terms of how people think of posterity. Uh, so coming to grips for musicians today, when the vast, vast majority of musicians are going to be forgotten after they die because they have not have reached this level of, you know, fame. There's, there is, uh, there's no future for us, you know, a handful of friends, mm-hmm. you know, who will remember them. But, uh, you know, like uh, um, in academia today, the big thing is to locate these... Uh, uh, lost writings of, or the lost music of so and so, you know, uh, there are far more uh, uh, Albert Eiler uh, saxophonist from the '60s, uh, far more uh, recordings of his now out than were ever recorded in his lifetime because they find all these tapes that were not uh, considered. Um, worthy of uh, of sale. So he became really famous, but we're not living in an era where there are famous people, uh, you know, uh, just hiding out somewhere, and at their death, somebody's going to reach into the dumpster and find these journals of Randy Russell and say, oh, my God, look at this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's not going to be anybody promoting you. Everybody's promoting themselves or somebody that they're really closely attached to. And it's a very different uh, situation from the past yeah for sure yeah di- very different yeah no, I, yeah eventually i just i felt like what am i you know why i'm keeping all these things um and and like why am i doing it so i thought like well the the one person who's more interested in these journals than anybody was me so <laughs> i i'm gonna get them out now and start reading rereading them and then and then typing them out and thinking about it well, I think the interest is in you reading reading them, and uh, it's it's a matter of uh, um, remembering who you were then. Right. Yeah. You know uh, who uh, um, and and what continuity there is between then and now. Yeah, it's interesting how the, that some of the things you remember. Uh, is very different than the things that then you've written down and you realize you've been remembering something a certain way then find where you have a, a written account of it and realize that it's that's different because your your memory is kind of like the you're you're just you're you've made up a little story about something over the years you keep telling yourself that story mm-hmm. and then it often gets to be a lot changed from what what actually happened because it's just a, it's kind of like a story that you keep telling yourself but maybe changing a little bit maybe you had it wrong the first time <laughs> so sometimes it's very different than the stuff that's written down it's kind of interesting even something that happened very recently sometimes we i've noticed that like something that happened last week i try to remember what the details and then get it all wrong Mm-hmm. And then, and then, if there's a different, uh, like a written account of it, and then I, and then I realize that that's very, more accurate sometimes. 
What fascinates me is, and this is in memory in general, is how um, the, and this also relates to identity. Um, so you remember something from your past. Like I remember when I was about five years old and I wanted to run away from home and I don't know if I packed anything. I had, think I had something with me and uh, I I was angry at my mother. I'm pretty sure that was it. And I walked to the end of the block, just, you know, this the one block that we lived on, and I sat down on the curb and thought about it. It's my first recollection of having reflected. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, yeah. I, I decided that it would be a bad thing to do. <laughs> and I went back. So I had the self who was angry and, and left, you know, and that was good that I did that, that I took that step. I mean, this is a major step to leave home when you're five years old, you know, yeah. uh, and it, it's a, it, it, it's a, uh, I can't think of the word. We got a dictionary right here, but uh uh, oh, you have to go from the definition to the word. Yeah, that's um, a whole, a whole it, work. <laughs> it, uh, it was a pre-formation uh, of uh, what I what one does their whole life. Mm -hmm. They make decisions to leave something that's you know uh, that they can't tolerate or oh, it's yeah. too much, mm -hmm. you know. And then uh, you get a chance to think that through again. Uh, is this a good idea? I mean, here is you know, in a little kid uh, making a rational decision, you know, that I knew that home was where I could eat and sleep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I succumbed to rationality. Now, I think of myself, even though our bodies, you know, the, all our cells change and everything, this is an identity. And I think of myself sitting on that curb, and I can go back to that corner in my mind and sit there and be that kid and be fully that person mm -hmm. fully that person and uh in other incidents i can do the same thing and so i can go into my into my journals and i can have uh, sympathy uh for this person who is me but other than me and that's a very interesting kind of um relation to the self that's based on some concrete thing and not just, you know, thinking about things All that right, we yeah. can uh, remember another time when I was in uh, uh, Columbia University library and I was just going wild with uh, in the stacks, just pulling out books of anthropology and sociology. Uh, I was in my uh, later 20s. And I was uh, experiencing this kind of euphoria of um, uh, trying to put together the whole of uh, make sense of history, make sense of the world. And I was sitting on the floor. And so these are two situations where I, the same person, has this, I have this memory of this event, mm -hmm. you know, a specific event that then tells me something about who I am.
because it's the same person. Right. So yeah. we change, but uh, this the 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 journals tell us we read this and it's embarrassing for me. My my seventies journals are embarrassing, and there I am. I mean, I had written everything out longhand, and here I am transcribing it into the computer, and it's like I am back there. And I am that person, and I have to admit to myself that mm -hmm. this is the person who was, uh, you know, at the time suicidal and facing facing the the rest of my life in my mid thirties, and uh, you know, so this is an empathy which then can translate to the kind of empathy that we feel for other people who are uh, suffering from similar things. Both of these are, you know, uh, joy and suffering and you know, the succession of events in our life. Yeah, but, yeah that's a good way to, to look at that, yeah. Then. So that's a different kind of identity mm -hmm. than these labels that we put out to the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a certain time, yeah, it's interesting that certain, when you're remembering the certain times when you had that kind of revelation that was a, important to you. Really, that's inter interesting how young you're five years old for the, remembering that. It's the kid, really young kids have pretty complex thoughts about things. Well, I think that, yeah, it's, it's what things we remember, what events we remember. You were talking about how uh, our uh, memory, uh, we, we construct a story that is then we see we have evidence of the reality or we remember a story and and uh like I, a lot of times i'm traveling around and and uh i run into somebody who has a story about me something had happened and i have a different you know oh is that what happened i will trust that other person rather than myself all right yeah. because i've <laughs> turned that into a story mm -hmm. about myself and part of my image of myself probably part of my positive image of myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then other people tell me stories that I, I, I'm, you know, things that I said uh, that they remember from 20 years ago or something, you know, just traveling and playing different places. Uh, I don't remember them. I don't remember having said that, but I, but I think, wow, that was a pretty cool thing to say. I can't, Imagine myself being that clever, or oh, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, I don't nice. have that. It's uh, nice that that happens. Yeah. Remember something that, that you wish you had remembered, but yeah, that happens a lot. And it's you know maybe they're maybe they've altered it a little bit too over the time too, so you don't know. So it's all you know could all be part of who you are, or your <laughs> image. Now that then that's going to change your image about yourself a little bit. That's well. The, yeah, the idea of calling yourself something too is. I think I've re, I resisted that. You know, calling myself a writer or an artist or whatever. You know, I resisted that for a long time. A lot of people do, I think, because maybe you do a lot of different things. You don't. I don't want to just call myself a writer because I. I maybe I do some visual art or play music too. And then, and you feel like people are going to just think of you as that one thing if you call yourself. You want to be, you sort of want to be more, have that idea about yourself that's bigger than that. 
Well, it provokes uh, the question, uh, well, have you published anything? Right, if you say yeah. that you're a writer. So today, uh, there's, you know, people are always working with kind of hierarchical notions. And if you say, I'm a writer, and uh, they say, uh, well, have you, have you published anything? And you say, well, no, some poems that appeared some time ago, but now I have a blog. Mm -hmm. uh, because so many people have blogs who don't think of themselves as writers. It sort of uh, it doesn't give you that uh, that uh, prestige of being a writer. Whereas musician is pretty broad, and you can be a musician and not be well known at all, and not having you know any any recognition. Um, on the other hand, uh, you can publish things now, and most people don't realize this. You can publish things for almost nothing right. through um, through uh, what is it called? Just uh, desktop desktop publishing. And, uh, uh, no, I'm thinking of um, on demand. Oh, on demand, right? Um, so uh, I published a book um, uh, called uh, "The Free Musics" a year and a half ago, and um, uh, I, I just couldn't believe that it was possible to get a book that is, has a Library of Congress number and everything, and all I would have to pay for it, I could just get one copy of it, mm -hmm. and it would right. be listed and, and everything, and uh, so I would be a published author. And so there hasn't been this distinction yet uh, I mean, some people know the distinction. So, uh, uh, well, who is publishing it? Oh, well, it's uh, it's on-demand publishing. I've published it myself. But there are a lot of very respected books today that are and and you know being being sold uh, in bookstores and everything that are on-demand publishing. So, in terms of the hierarchy of value of publish the published writer. These are. This is a term that's very much uh, in in flux, mm -hmm, right? Yeah, and some people want to know how much money you make, and that determines if you're <laughs> if you can call yourself a writer or not. And they have like, oh, if, if you're making well, a living at it, or that might determine what you call yourself. You know, what you make, what you do to make a living. To get yeah, money. people ask. Yeah, but that used to be uh, what you called yourself was how you made your living. And today that doesn't hold true for writers or artists or musicians. Right, yeah. I think people generally know that uh, people with these perfectly legitimate titles uh, do something else to earn a living. Mm -hmm. Right, that's for sure. You know, I mean, writers aren't, people don't think that writers are actually living on their earnings except for mm -hmm. just a handful of bestseller yeah, not many. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of also interested about is how you feel about recording music um versus uh you know playing live and recording and and how you feel about the importance of recording or the lack of importance of it. Um cuz well, I've I've known you mostly as playing live. Mm -hmm. And um I've seen some 
as far as recordings, I've seen some video of, you know, live performances, which is then essentially a recording, but not a record, you know, not a, mm-hmm. like a phonograph record type recording. So how do you feel about that? Well, uh, I see uh, recordings as uh, similar to journals because uh, they're, they're uh, something that is uh, permanent um, and uh, available and uh it it uh i think recording is one of the greatest things that's come to music not so that other people can hear you but so that you can hear yourself oh yeah right so a journal is first of all for you for self-understanding mm-hmm. you know uh um i am this person who wrote this and uh i am the person who played this and i can listen to it uh recently i released a uh, um a CD on Bandcamp that included my very first recording that I made when I, the first time I ever played freely. And so what's interesting is um, um, from those early years, this was from 79 to 85, um, uh, the quality of most of them are not not very good, but I can identify something about myself again talking about identity you know like what is consistent in your journal writings or in my playing uh it's it's very much like how am i still that little boy who's went to the corner and then turned back you know Mm -hmm. that's that's something in my character that i don't know where it came from and in your playing, people say, well, my music has changed, or I'm not doing that anymore. But uh, there have been a lot of changes uh, in, my, in my playing, and some of it I don't like at all. I can barely listen to, but I have to recognize that uh, that, is, that is something that I was doing, and it was essential for me to do it. Uh, so that's the most important thing about recording to me. I record just about every time I play with uh, other people. Mm-hmm. Every concert, I like to record it and listen back to it and make some get some kind of feeling about what's going on. Um, and it's secondary, um, functional to being a musician who is performing and trying to get gigs to release things to me i own i i release things just well things that i like and things that i feel represent me in some way mm-hmm. but uh uh if you don't have recordings out there for people to listen to even though it's not the live thing it's not the real thing um you're not going to be taken seriously by people who are booking concerts, even, you know, house concerts. What do people have to go on? This is what you do. Here's my music. Right, yeah. Um, so right now, of course, uh, sales of CDs have plummeted. Mm-hmm. Hardly anybody is buying CDs. And I do uh, put out put out a few um uh but uh like bandcamp doesn't cost anything there are various services uh maybe listeners don't know about these but 
uh, various online services where you can, for no money at all, you can put things and make them available. Um, So this is, uh, again, kind of functional. Also, sharing with your friends, here's here's a new partner I just played with, Um, something something of interest. But uh, monetarily... Uh, there's there's really nothing there at all. So I did a tour uh, when I put out my uh, when I published my book. Um, uh, the end uh, beginning of last year. Um, I went on tour three week tour and I took. Uh, I think uh, 45 books with me or 42 books and I sold every book. And not a single CD. Oh, now, the book has a CD in it mm-hmm. that people are buying, and it's pretty reasonably priced. So, uh, But the it, what struck me is that um, the real interest is in a book. Mm-hmm. You know, a hard copy book. People wanted it. It was on a topic that, you know, they came to hear a concert of free improvisation. The book is about that, about free jazz and free improvisation, and they're history, sociology, all kinds of things, some historical interest. And so they were getting something that they were going to be spending a lot more time with. They they imagined to be spending a lot more time with it than than they would with a CD. Because most people, they get a CD and they listen to it once and, well... And they, a lot of people know that they can get that on yeah. line for free anyway. Right. And some people don't have CD. I don't even have a CD player anymore. So it's uh-huh. no, it's it's like whatever I used to get on CD, I would get on online somehow or mm-hmm. streaming or buy online. Uh, I still listen to phonograph records um, uh-huh. just because I like the records as ob- as objects and as a thing to listen to music. And you like to. Uh... Uh, put them in uh, boxes and carry them around when you move from one place to yeah, another. That's don't the you? best. That's the best and thing that's, about them. That's the best thing about it. Workout. Builds up yeah. your body strength carrying them. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't really talk about uh, just in general the you know the the free improvisation music that you do, just for people who don't who are listening to this now maybe and don't know that much. Can can you give any kind of a basic? Uh, I know it's a huge subject. And the history of you playing music, but can you talk about that a little bit? Just about how you got interested in playing, uh, free imp- doing free improvisation. Well, uh, oh, no, 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 stop that. Okay. That's. It's a kind of music that um, originated really in uh, Great Britain in the 60s. A uh, few musicians who were uh, frustrated with uh, jazz on the one hand and traditional classical music on the other, um, uh, just started uh, started playing without any um, uh, any structure whatsoever. Just 
like I, I just did with my voice. I didn't have, you know, uh, maybe I've done that a little bit before, not very much, but mm-hmm. uh, if you just, once you get started making sounds, you begin to realize that you don't need to know in advance what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of fear uh, that uh, what will this sound like? Especially the more trained musician, the more trained you are, the greater the greater the fear is that it won't come out as music. So you have to um, uh, divorce yourself from any conception of what music is, in order to just uh, to just make sounds, and then you will, this is inevitable, you will find yourself captivated by the sounds you're making, and one leads to another, and it's, um, it's a very pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. So as you go on doing this, and you're, maybe you're doing this with other people, uh, if you don't have any structure in your mind and the other person doesn't have in theirs, then you are um, taking in what they're doing and uh, you, are, you are creating relationships with uh, other people. If it's uh, just one other person, then it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, right. You're maybe pausing, you're imitating, you're mocking, you're you're doing something that is it's the closest relationship you can possibly have in music with another with other people because you're there is no medium of a frame or of a form of music that's that you're all relating to there's no score that um uh is tying you together there's no there's nothing connecting you other than the sounds that you're making Right. So in the 80s, uh, I think one problem was, I mean, I was traveling around the country uh, um, and uh, I would play one night and then I'd say, well, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, well, let's get together tomorrow and do some playing. Uh, so people, well, what, well, what will we do? Well, we'll just play. And people would just you know, people who were had some facility on their instrument, they would have some idea of what this would be. Mm-hmm. The tendency was, at that time, was for everybody to play pretty loud and uh, just over overpowering, right. you know. Uh, and, um, uh, but as time went on in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, people, uh, I'm not sure why, but... Uh, People pulled back in in this kind of you know just heavy heavy going stuff and began to have greater uh, interrelationships in their playing so that you would be moving in relationship to what other people were doing. Mm-hmm. So there has been some kind of uh, evolution, but it's not coming from it's not like in uh, in jazz where somebody set a new standard or had some new idea uh different uh uh different kind of scale that you can use and then everybody uh jumps on it 
uh, improvisation is a uh, is such an underground music that um, um, if you say if you say underground, a lot of people imply that oh well, this is the next thing. You know, what's underground becomes eventually becomes o- overground. Oh yeah, right. This is the only music that has uh, stayed uh, completely underground, and um, uh, because people don't know what to do with it. You know, uh, this guy we played in um, in Muskegon, Michigan, and this guy uh, came, and he was really riveted by the music, and stayed through two sets, and bought a book, and uh, talked talked with us about the music, and was a musician himself, trying to. He wasn't really clear what he wanted to do, musically. But afterwards, I said, well, what did you think? He said, I didn't like it, but I dig it. So this is the kind of ambivalent relationship that I think a lot of people have. Uh, To say that you like something means uh, I'm already there. And to say I dig it means on some level, this is, I've, I've got to hear more of this. Right. So you have people who are sort of on the edge. We've been we've played shows uh, where where people seem to be like half in and half out of listening. You know, they 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 sort of want to leave, and uh, many people have very visceral reaction against it. It's it's just like there's nothing to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, energy, and there's. Um, a lot of change that occurs in the music, and uh, th- there's nothing that you can't say. Oh, these are famous people, so we should respect them, because <laughs> none of us, there aren't anybody. Th- there's no one who is doing really this kind of improvisation who is well known for it. People get well known as jazz musicians playing jazz, but not really for doing mm-hmm. this. So that may give some idea. Yeah. So, so you uh, you played solo a lot, right? And, and one t- I think I first saw you, you were playing solo. So you've done that, and but I think the last time I saw you, that maybe a local person played with you. So do you prefer playing with somebody? I I solo? prefer uh, playing with other people. Um, at the time in the eighties, there was just nobody else who. Uh, I had a few partners, but to get people to tour was a big thing. So I was, you know, it was just too much for most people. Mm-hmm. One time I toured with these two kids from uh, Madison. They were like 18 and 19 years old. Punk mm-hmm. band, yeah. a cellist and a, and a guitarist. And uh, they had dreams of glory. We went to L.A. and they wanted. They were talking about, well, we want to get signed, you know, yeah. to a label, SST or something, uh, you know. And I said, well, this is not, this is not going to happen. Uh, but they were, you know, they were eager to go. So uh, uh, now there are a lot of people, good, good musicians to play with. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's my main. Thing. Solo is a little bit problematic. It's like, why, why do this? Why play a solo 
I, I, the focus on yourself is a little bit much. I don't like, mm-hmm. uh, and and you're not. You don't have anything else to follow. So you really, probably enjoy it more with playing with. Do you enjoy it more with other? Well, people? I enjoyed solo for a period of time, and then I felt like I was uh, just a kind of uh, uh, wild man from Borneo. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a circus act of doing just this weird stuff, and uh, found that I was repeating myself a lot, my musical ideas, and uh, I retreated. I tried to find a way out. Didn't didn't play as much. I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and couldn't find anybody out there to play with either until I finally moved back east where this is where the concentration of musicians is, you Mm -hmm. know, enough variety so that uh, you can find people interesting. Right. So I sort of feel like that knowing some of your music and seeing you a few times, I feel like one difference maybe then in what you do then with say if you get a bunch of musicians together who are sort of doing a jam doing jamming a lot of that times that starts with a rhythmic element more with it's a lot it's a lot more easy, easier to just grab onto so say someone's playing a, someone starts with maybe drums playing something a basic a more basic rhythm rather than a, than a real free rhythm and Maybe someone's playing that and a, a bass or a guitar part along with that, and then you know you don't know what I mean. It turns into a sort of a jam yeah. thing, which is very different than what right. you do, which is it doesn't have that much of a, that same kind of rhythmic element. That maybe maybe there's rhythm, certain rhythm in, involved that's less easy to uh, identify. Well, rhythm is. Uh usually implies uh, a a repetition right uh and a a a a pace a tempo mm-hmm. and uh so if you can think of rhythm in terms of accenting and pausing and uh timing uh i think that's that can be rhythmic um mm-hmm. and i i like to I like to think of that. I like to think of myself as a rhythmic player because I'm aware of when when I'm entering, you know, jumping in, pulling back, you know, making little stabs, doing certain repetitive things, but then changing the pace and so on. Mm-hmm. To me, this is rhythmic because it has to do with, uh, um, well... I don't know. The word rhythm is is just uh, so associated with a pace, a specific right. pace. Yeah. Like def- you say, a drummer can't play time. It means that they can't keep the beat absolutely steady. Right. Yeah. Definitely, it's a repetition. Where so maybe a, a someone hearing it for the first time will, will that's something you'll grab onto more is. Um, Repetition. That's interesting to think about it because just thinking about what is it about certain music that's more what you would call audience friendly or mainstream. What it, what and and what and other things that are 
more difficult or what people consider difficult. I think that about that in terms of writing quite a lot too. Sure. You know, what what are the things that people um, gravitate towards more and what is alienating to people? Uh huh. Yeah. So if you if you think if you're writing, I mean, I had this uh, this problem in this this thought in writing the book. Uh, am I thinking at all in terms of what people would like? You know, mm -hmm. like right. uh, you are you are writing in a in a, a certain you're using grammar, which is common to you assume is common to readers. So you have subject objects, you have clauses, and uh, my tendency in writing, just just writing, which I do every day, uh, is to run on. So I, in editing, I'll go back and break it up, break up sentences. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's one mode of, of just writing, and then there's another mode of editing. And the mode of editing, you are thinking about uh, concision, uh, vocabulary, what's a better word, and maybe not repeating the same word, you know, various, right, yeah. various things that are writerly, you know, in, in quotes, that uh, you just get from reading. Mm -hmm. You know, you read a book that uh, flows well, like my wife says, uh, no matter what the subject, she can't read a book. It's very difficult for her to read a book that isn't written well. Mm -hmm. So there's something there, yeah. a, a book that flows, where the ideas are, are clear. And, uh, you know, uh, that, might, that is not very avant-garde. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's... Because yeah. uh, reading a book about uh, Artaud uh, recently and how his writing, this is a uh, French um, poet and... Uh, writer engaged in the theater and so on in the 20s and so on. So he was writing in the 20s in a period of uh, surrealism and Dadaism. And so he was writing very fragmentary, uh, in a very fragmentary way. And there was this editor who said, that's just what we want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the poetry of it, yeah. you know. So uh, uh, there are people who will write that way and then they will be read, it, mm -hmm. it will be read in that, you know, as that kind of genre. I think we might, uh, I don't know how we are on time, but there's one thing I wanted to say mm -hmm. that goes back to the beginning or the, this, this thing of identity, and that is I realized after, uh, I haven't spent a lot of time with you, mm -hmm. but I remember you in a way that I could never have drawn, I could never have said uh, anything about you. Oh. Uh, I couldn't have uh, get, put words to who you are except my experience of, uh, you know, like playing in Iowa City that time. But just sitting across from you, I can see there's this, I can see a consistency of certain physical um, uh, uh, habits or things, uh, your way of breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of like uh, a person's way of walking. Is extremely individual, and All you right. can't say yeah. what that is, mm -hmm. what their gait is. You can maybe put a word to it, but it would be a word that would describe many, many people, and yet that is an identity. And I don't know anybody like you 
who has your gestures, your your breathing, your your mm-hmm. way of pausing. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. and it's just revealed mm-hmm. in the time that we've been. I've been sitting across from you. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. An individual, and you'll see someone in, in, in different things besides even their faces and things. Yeah, you see someone from a distance, you recognize them. Yeah, you just recognize their their these subtle body motions. And, yeah, so there's something in us that relates to people, and I think this is also in improvisation, where uh, you can't the the subtle things that you do the way that you are with another musician the way you play with another musician are things you could just never it it, it makes uh language just so impoverished it feels like i can't possibly say right right yeah, <laughs> yeah so. what that is or what moves me yeah that's you know? a whole, yeah for that form of communication with music like all different thing. Do you want to? I guess we have to wrap up now. We're about in. Uh, do you want to say anything? Do you want to um, give any contact information where you can be reached online or anything about your the, uh, the book? Sure. If you go to springgardenmusic.com, uh, you'll come to my page with all kinds of information. Okay, Spring That's Garden the, Music and yeah. We'll have a website eventually and put this information on and uh-huh. people can see and get to know more uh-huh. about you then. Okay. Well, I think this is a great project, a really interesting. You ought to be able to uh, pull um, things, you know, the situation where you can really talk about anything as yeah. opposed to a normal interview where you're, you know, there's the interviewer and then the respondent mm-hmm. um, yeah i hope so yeah those are okay. those are very difficult because mm. you're you know uh the the common musician and what is your next project yeah. <laughs> and always <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing it now <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks Randy. okay thanks for talking all right yeah thanks